and welcome to episode 18 of Life with Catherine. I want to take a moment and thank everyone who's supported me along this journey. It's been really exciting. I'm working on creating a little poster and different things about episodes of the show for the first six months. This episode, I'm actually recorded some of it outside, just to try and change things up and get a natural ambiance a little bit, just for when I'm telling a couple of stories. Um, this episode, I recorded some stories from my dad's biography. Um, I tried to pick the funny ones, and I tell you, I start crying with laughter through some of them. Um, he starts out, um, I'm going to start with the one uh, about his childhood. He shares a story about one of his brothers. And uh, then he also talks about some stories from his childhood and then also his um, time as scout leader and different things. He talks about his first job. And I thought that would be a nice way to put together some stories of humor and laughter. So thank you again to my dad for writing these and sharing these with me and then allowing me to share it with my listeners and the world. Oh, there's a bird friend. Oh, there he goes. I'm sitting here outside. There's cars going past just gently. The trees are blowing in the wind. The birds. It's quite extraordinary. I'm a very lucky person. So without further ado, here we go. Stories from Little Jim. chapter called Life's Miracles. As we go on, uh, the only editing I will do is take out uh, certain dates and uh, anything specific to uh, historical names so that um, we can still respect the privacy of the family. Life's Miracles. I was born in November of 1939 in King's Daughters Hospital. My parents were George and Agnes, and I was the second oldest of eleven children, five boys and six girls. At the time, my father was working in a sawmill at Misachi Lake for the Stone Brothers. One of my first recollections was when one of my brothers was born. It was early January and the weather was cold. As my father was busy running the farm, he didn't spend a lot of time cooking. The menu was the same every day. Day one, he prepared a stew for us. And day two, three, and so on was the same pot, with a few vegetables added and more water. Can you imagine after four or five days with the same menu? After that, the older girls learned how to cook. At least the menu varied a little each day. They had the basics down pat. Since we lived on the farm, the boys did all the outside chores and the girls got the inside ones. 
A few times our grandmother would come up and give them a helping hand when our mother was in the hospital. Every day our chores began around 6 a.m. As we had cows to milk and chickens to feed, and on weekends we gathered the eggs. We were milking around 16 cows, feeding the young ones, and had around 1,500 chickens. Each day before school, my brother and I would kill a chicken and pluck the feathers off them. Our mother would clean them and freeze them for future sales. We originally started off with six acres of land and over time purchased and cleared and fenced another 40 acres. Our job was to go behind the tractor and pick up roots to prepare for future pasture. Occasionally we had pigs and turkeys as well. I remember our cousins from Creston visiting us and in the summer we would go to the drive-in movies. One evening we backed the car out and ran over a turkey. And we had to wait for our, wait while our father dealt with it. <laughs> Another year, my father decided we needed more water to run the farm. He located a source, and we had to dig a ditch about half a mile long. Naturally, it was a hot, dry August. Thank goodness for the tractor to do most of the hard work. Our job was to hit a few high spots as well as clean out the ditch. We all had blisters to show off at school in September. Another year we had a great snowfall and while Dad was at work, we got to dig out the driveway about 300 feet long. We finished the job and realized that we had cleared from rut to rut, forgetting about the fenders, etc. Another January, our mother woke up and needed to go to the hospital in the middle of the night to deliver a sister to us. When my father stepped off, stepped off the porch, the snow was over his high boots. He managed to get the car out and got stuck in our driveway. He then called a taxi, which also got stuck in the way up. Then came the ambulance and police. Finally, they got the city snowplow to clear the highway. She made it to the hospital just in time. As we got older, we took catechism classes, and Father Leclerc would pick us up and return us later. In those days, you memorized the book word for word rather than state your ideas. Challenging the doctrine was not done. One Sunday, when we went to church and we were listening to the sermon, when one of my brothers pulled his hand out of his pocket and a marble dropped out. It rolled under the pews all the way to the front and then proceeded to drop in the heat register and roll all the way back to the furnace. Talk about embarrassing. From that day onward, all pockets were checked before we entered the church. Later, we became altar servers, and Father Lombard used to get us to go down in the cellar to get wine for Mass. While down there, we noticed the Nativity crib. Father told us that it was the home of the ghosts, and the ditch around the perimeter was for the removal of evidence. For a while, we actually believed him. <sighs> to be so young and innocent. 
While on the farm, we would do milk deliveries before school. At that time, the government was enforcing the pasteurizing of all milk. They made regular visits to us and finally tried to stop us from selling raw milk. They knew we continued, so one Saturday night they got the milk board and police to watch and catch us. Little did they know we were doing our deliveries in the mornings in broad daylight. As they sat out waiting for us, my grandparents used to come visit us and watch TV. When they left to go home, they were immediately surrounded and followed most of the way home. They realized that it was a Victoria car they were following and abandoned that, the idea. We ended up in court and won our case. The board's final decision was that we could continue, but they had the right to cancel our license with 24 hours notice. That was back in 1956. It was then that we decided to sell out and move to town. So much for our rural lifestyle. My First Job by Jim Life in my early working years had some interesting times. I got a job as a gas jockey in the summer of 1956 at the Shell Gas Station. As I was in school at the time, when the summer holidays were over, I worked on most weekends. I nearly always by then opened the shop around 6 a.m. This was a great working experience on how to deal with the public. As we got most of the wrecker calls at the time, the police used to stop in around 7 in the morning just to pass the time and have a chat. On Sunday morning, this one officer used to stop and get a cigar. They were 10 cents, and he always managed to only have a $20 bill. After about four months of this, I came prepared for him and took his 20 and gave him change. That afternoon, my boss came to me and said not to do that again, as they kept us busy on most accident calls. That was when I learned about greasing the palm. My, how times have changed. My school career was over, so I began to work full-time, mostly days. But this is where I learned how to maintain vehicles. By this time, my brother Bob came to work there. He was natural at salesmanship. I often thought he could sell snow to an Eskimo. He stayed there for a couple years and then got a job working for Griffith Plumbing. Shortly after that, he started in the Crofton Pulp Mill where he was to make this his lifelong career. The first week he started there, he had a motor scooter and went into a skid and skinned his knees. When he got to work, they took him into the first aid shack and cleaned him up every day till he was better. They were a great company in those days. Anyway, back to me. During my time at the service station, I had many experiences. My boss used to constantly be playing tricks on us. He sent one of us to pick up a can of compression. He would call ahead and have them forward him to another supplier. 
After an hour of this, he realized that he was part of a hoax. At that time, our boss would take home five gallons of kerosene oil every night for his cooking stove. One day, we put half a gallon of water in first and then filled the bucket with the kerosene. He went home and poured it in his cooking stove, and presto, nothing would work. He was going out for the evening with his wife, and he was furious. Naturally, they were late for the event. I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Everyone settled down after that event, and things got back to normal. Further to my time at the service station, on early Sunday mornings, things would be quiet. We used to experiment with mixing acetylene and oxygen together and set off a bang. We gradually got more brave and made bigger charges for practice. We would put a heavy steel plate over the can and see how high we could lift the plate. One particular Sunday, our boss was sitting at a restaurant about a block away and heard the bang. <laughs> From that day on, we stopped the practice and used, just used our time to socialize. <laughs> One day, I had to make three trips to Victoria with the tow truck for various customers. I had a few accident scenes that I arrived to, and some were pretty ugly. That was when I felt that my time in that business had come to an end. I had applied at the Crofton Pulp Mill for a job. I got a phone call one day and was asked to appear for an interview. Really, Dad? <sighs> this involved taking what they called the idiot test. A block of wood was placed in front of you with about 20 bolts in it. Our job was to put nuts on the bolts and screw them to the bottom. I began using two hands to do the job and flick them once and they would fly to the base. She stopped me halfway through and said that they were only allowed to use one hand. I then said, which hand would you like me to use? Her reply was, anyone you feel most comfortable with. That was when working in a mechanical repair shop paid off. When I left the gas station, my boss said, Oh well, everyone can be replaced. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I then went to the mill and started in wood supply working in wood chips. My first winter there was so cold that everything was freezing up on them. I would spend eight hours pouring antifreeze on the chip belt to keep things from freezing up. In the surface station, it was gold. To the pulp mill, it was like water. This lasted around four days before things began to warm up. We worked hard and steady, but were left alone to do our best. From there, I went into the paper mill lab and finally onto the machines. Their specialty was newsprint. And this is a chapter of my dad wrote called Scouting. Back in my younger days, I became involved as a cub and later scout leader. A few of the more memorable moments that happened are interesting. When the church on the Coronation Street was sold, we were on the move. We rented space in the basement of St. Catherine's School. After about two years there, I decided we need to fundraise for our own hall. 
My grandmother showed me an idea that was tried in Europe. It was called a walkathon. You got sponsors to walk the entire route and collect so many dollars for each mile. To my knowledge, it had not been tried in Canada. We were there first. When the final day came, we had the Honorable Robert Strachan to support and walk with us. We ended up with quite a large amount of money raised and now needed to make our first step in our drive. I think it was back in 1965 or 66 that we proceeded. I had heard that the Crofton Pulp Mill was dismantling their construction camp. They had buildings for sale. I then approached the mill manager, Mr. John Frisch, about getting the commissary building. We were successful in getting it for one dollar. I then approached the church to have the building located on their grounds. It was approved and the move was on. At the time, I was the cub leader, and two years later, I advanced to be the scout leader. And Dad has put the copy of the poster. It's called Cowichan Valley Adventure 70. And he's got a little caption under it that says, We cleared the land in one weekend. Mordley Bullock was the operator, and he donated his time. The cat had to be moved by Doman's transport. On Monday evening, I had all the cubs write Mr. Doman a thank-you letter for his donation. He called my father into his office that week, and asked him how he was going to collect for the move, and what to do with all these letters. My father's reply was for him to take the letters to his bank and cash them in. He reminded me many years later about the episode and was still laughing that he had been outmaneuvered. Later, the hall was taken over by the Knights of Columbus to maintain. One of our more exciting trips was to go on a submarine out of Victoria. I had written Ottawa, and about nine months later I had a phone call for a personal tour of our, gr of our group. Wow, all I did was ask and it happened. Another of our great adventures was when our group along with many others went on a week-long trip up Mount Washington. There were 16 leaders and 96 scouts on that trip. We spent seven days visiting various lakes on the mountain. We all climbed to the top of Mount Albert Edward on one of our final days. We were not concerned about bears even though they were around. With all the noise the boys made, they stayed clear. Oh my Dad! <laughs> One of my boys got stung. <laughs> my... One of my boys got stung between the. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> okay. One of my boys got stung between the eyes on our first day. <laughs> I'm sorry. He had trouble seeing for the next four days. <laughs> oh no. So one of our group led him along and I carried his backpack. That's horrible. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, no. I was... <laughs> I need a minute. I was the designated camp doctor and had a few incidents to deal with. One was on our final camp. The boys had to put on a skit and one came in all covered in what looked like blood. Actually, it was blueberry juice. We all had a great time during that week. Another incident was when Mr. Poland plugged his portable razor into a tree 
and proceeded to shave. Few had ever seen a portable shaver and were amazed how he could do that. We still laugh to this day at that event. I was also capsec <laughs> still on the beast. <laughs> no. I was also camp secretary and made up books of our trip for everyone. Mary Rambled handmade made hand painted covers for each. Pacific builders drove our luggage to and from the camp. The truck was filled to the brim with all our supplies. When I married Sharon, two of my Cub Scouts were our altar boys. The wedding took place, I'm not going to say the church, in Burnaby. My mother-in-law kindly supplied rooms for them. After the wedding, the two boys got into the punch bowl and ate a lot of the oranges. They were saturated in alcohol, naturally. Oh, Dad! The next day was hangover day. <laughs> I spent 20 years with the Scouts and enjoyed the experiences we all had. Oh, thank you for the story, Dad. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life with Catherine. If you liked it and you'd like to hear more episodes from me, please feel free to support the show by zipping onto my website, www.lifewithcatherine.com, and click on the donate button send a couple bucks my way to be able to fund different kinds of stories. Either way, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>